What they can expect though is that they're going to get some guidance on movement and that's going to be everything from breaking it down into mobility, strength, stability, things like that, onto like run specific movements that are, the goal is to get them faster, right? We want to get faster runners who can run more efficiently. We also want to get runners who are more resilient so they don't have to stop training to heal injuries. And I've learned so much around movement and there's so much I love sharing with. Um, Welcome to a Run On Culture podcast featuring local runners and coaches helping us define a culture of success. Brock Butler and Zach Miller are two of the most successful sub-elite runners in the tri-state area, running everything from track 4 by 400 meter relays to road 5Ks to marathons with great success. This past fall, Brock crushed a 225.43 at the Berlin Marathon as a master's competitor, while Zach broke through the 230 barrier with a new PR of 229.41, finishing fifth at the Wineglass Marathon. Both Zach and Brock have incredible discipline in their training with consistent mileage and strength and mobility work, all while maintaining an impressive balance with their family and work lives. So Brock and Zach, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. It's great to have you here. My pleasure. This is fun. What I'd like to start out with is, is maybe if you guys could tell us a little bit about your running history and maybe Zach, we'll start with you. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Again, appreciate you having us on. Um, grew up in the uh, media area most of my life and I uh, was always very active, played a lot of soccer, baseball, you know, from a young age, was always moving. I remember in gym class, elementary school, you know, our gym teacher, uh, we'd usually start off with some light uh, stretching, maybe a jog or two around the gymnasium. And I remember asking him how far a mile was. It's kind of funny just looking back on it because you remember kind of your introduction to the sport. And he told me it was like 52 laps or whatever it was. And I ended up running the full mile while the kids were playing, you know, some kind of dodgeball or game. I just wanted to wanted to give it a shot and say that, you know, tell my parents that I ran a mile that day. So that was kind of my intro, if you will. Do you remember your time that day? <laughs> I don't remember my time. I don't think he split it, but he was like, good job. You ran a mile. And uh, fast. I don't know how fast it was, but it was, uh, it was memorable you know, for me. But yeah, ended up uh, not, really, not really running uh, competitively until my sophomore year. So I ended up playing a lot of soccer, baseball, basketball. My intro really to cross country was uh, there were, we had a soccer game and there were these cross country runners running laps around our soccer field. I went to Delco Christian and uh, Newtown Square, and basically um, just kind of fell in love with uh, the idea of, of, you know, running for endurance. I guess I was always chasing soccer balls and enjoyed, you know, running for a reason, but didn't really know that, uh, you know, things were going to click and that I was really going to fall in love with the sport of cross country. Um, so sophomore year, I decided to go out for the team, and I still remember contemplating the day before um, we had this soccer camp and cross country camp was the same day in August. It was, yeah, kicking a ball the night before against the wall. I'm thinking to myself, you know, is this really the decision I want to make? And, um, you know, I'm so thankful looking back that I did. The rest is pretty much history. So I went out for cross country. Um, our coach there, coach Chuck Patterson, uh, still, he, uh, is a guy, um, had a crew cut and was real tan, big, uh, he had these red shorts. He was a lifeguard in the but real warm guy and just made it really fun. He was the guy that would just always run with the team. You know, I think that's, that's part of it too, is just making it, 
making it fun for the athletes. You know, I was a young kid and was just kind of being introduced to the, the sport and the sport itself is hard, but found a way to embrace it, you know, and he made it fun. He'd pop up on his bike, you know, different courses we'd be running, cheer us on. He'd sometimes run with us. This guy was like really fit and ripped. And I was like, man, this guy is awesome. Like, I hope I can be as cool as him someday. And, um, so anyway, I had some success and, uh, had some senior leadership and some guys, you know, to run with. And I didn't really know what I was doing, which was probably a good thing in some ways. Um, but uh, we ended up winning the independent school state championship uh, back in 99, my first year running. You know, by my senior year, I, um, you know, I had the school record in the 5K cross country run, like, you know, not really fast, but um, 1628 was what I ran. You know, I would say competitive, I was competitive, but you know, there was a lot of other runners that were, you know, much better than me at locally public schools, but had a little bit of success. So um, kind of gave me a taste. Senior year, I decided to go off for track, played baseball up until that year, ended up running like 428, the 1600, split a 202, you know, so had had some fun running and realized that I, I wanted to make it more of a, um, a focus as I got into college. Ended up going to Widener, where I met Coach Tui, Vince Tui. That was another great decision. I remember kind of looking at Cabrini, looking at Widener, and just kind of prayed about it and hoped I'd make the right decision. And I remember Coach Tui, I told him at the Penn Relays, he was like, oh, I thought you were going to Westchester. I was like, no, I'm coming to Widener. He's like, all right, I'll call you this week. Vince Tui has been coaching at Widener for about 30 years, but he's a um, like 28-time track and field uh, champion a four-time cross-country champion there. So he's a real charismatic, loving guy, and you know, a guy that I'll always, always love, cherish the years I had with him. So at Widener, had some success, had a lot of injuries. We had a we had a, an All-American named Maturia Hewitt. Uh, I was there 2000, sorry, 2002 to 2006, I was at Widener University. And Macharia, um was uh, from Sudan and um, ended up his senior, by his senior year, he won the NCAA championships in 2006 in the steeplechase, 10K and 5K in consecutive days. And um, he was a guy that I tried to keep up with a lot in workouts. And we had a really good Good team, close-knit team, hang out a lot outside of, you know, the workouts and training runs. And I think that, um, you know, really brought us close. Um, we knew each other well, and so we really had a sense of camaraderie with the team. But looking back, I think I left a lot of my races uh, in the workouts. And uh, that's something that I probably would change now if I could, looking back on it. I think I was overtraining at times and tried to keep up with Macharia. Had some really good memories there. Had you know kind of modest level of success. I uh, won the conference uh, steeplechase um, my junior year, and I guess was second the next year to Macharia in that. Didn't really get to breaking 15 minutes till later on uh, for 5K. Just had some injuries, setbacks, mono, and things in college. But I think a lot of that was due to um, you know just overtraining and and uh, like I said, just not not recovering and, and probably going too hard too many days consecutively. I guess moving on after college, you know, I still had a fire kind of in my belly to get better. I think I'm grateful looking back because in, in high school, I was definitely undertrained. Coach there, Coach Patterson's motto was train, but don't strain. And we literally would run like maybe 20, 30 miles a week tops, just doing striders pretty much for our workouts. We'd have a hilly 5.2 mile run, sawmill run in Newtown Square. That 
was probably a blessing in disguise because I definitely was not burnt out. Uh, the transition from high school to college was, a, you know, a bit of a um, rude awakening just because I hadn't run much. And by freshman year, I was running 70 miles a week and had, you know, had some injuries, uh, knee injuries. For the most part, I was able to adjust as time got on and got stronger. But the best the best started to come after college, post-collegiately. And I remember Coach Tui kind of voicing that, saying, hey, you know, you're still going to be really young. You're going to be fit. Just takes a while. Uh, trust the process and um, you can be great. So I kind of held on to that and I guess post-collegiately ended up running Broad Street in 2007 around 50 minutes, 40 seconds. Um, around that time, a six to eight minute half marathon, 1438, 5K. So things were getting better. I was trending in the right direction. Uh, Bob Schwelm took a chance on me with Bryn Mawr Running Company and some other local guys. You know, for about 11 years there, I was really blessed with a lot of gear and sneakers. You know, as runners, we go through a lot of sneakers. So that was, uh, that was a big blessing. And, you know, we're running 100 miles a week, 90 miles a week. It, shoes, the shoes start to wear out pretty quickly. So real grateful for those years. Ended up working at Brimar Running Company for a while uh, after Widener as I tried to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And really just a great time to train and focus on getting better as an athlete, but also uh, making some money, you know, being involved with a little bit of coaching. And I had a good friend, Mike Dolan, that uh, coached CYO. So I assisted him a little bit. A lot of runs at Ridley Creek State Park, lots of, uh, lot of talks. And he was kind of a mentor to me, actually was trained under Coach Tui at St. James back in the day. So, you know, it's just such a small world and uh, you never know who you're going to bump into, who you're going to be spending time with, you know, out there on the on the roads. Kind of a good um, decision, I think, for me was, um, you know, joining uh, Brimar Running Company, working there and being able to focus on running and just trying to figure out what I wanted to do moving forward. You went into something I really liked about how you felt like in high school, you were maybe a little undertrained in college, maybe a little overtrained. Uh, I think that's a common theme that a lot of athletes go through. Uh, I feel like I myself in high school was probably undertrained, maybe even in college, maybe not so much on the part of my coach not training me as, as much as I should, but maybe myself not being disciplined enough to train at that level. And so I want to touch back on that a little bit later. But first, what I'd like to do is, is hear about Brock and Brock's kind of history and how he got into the sport. All right, cool. Yeah, let's start in high school. Because I think that's that's a fun spot. I, I did not <clears throat> run my first three years in high school. I, I went out for indoor track my senior year, uh, mainly to get in shape for soccer. I played soccer and lacrosse. Sorry, I was, so I played soccer in the fall. Then I went for indoor track uh, to get in shape for lacrosse. And I was just knew I was in good shape. But I get dropped in. And all I can remember, like, my first day is doing these, like, crazy fast repeats inside Henderson High School. Uh, Coach Bill Lott was my coach that season and I just remember like how much fun this was flying through the hallways I don't know how any of us didn't get hurt but it was it was a heck of a lot of fun and uh, it was like you know I no no pressure not nothing like that just just having fun you know run at Lehigh on the weekends just got faster ended up being fast enough in the 800 meters to make the state meet. Uh, I think I was in the slowest heat, but I ran fast enough. I just went for it that day and I was able to get third in the state my my, my first season. So I guess I was, um, I had a difficult choice at that point. It was, a, it was a really good outcome, but at the same time, I realized maybe I should not be playing lacrosse. And so I decided to do outdoor track. At the time, I think I was like, there weren't that many other seniors on the team who were kind of good. There was, there was a good junior, Bill Barsh, and a couple of really good, actually like four really good sophomores 
who went on to do great things. And it was, it was an interesting situation where I, I think they were leading me and I was learning how to be a, a track athlete through them. The coaches were awesome. They, I think they did a great job developing me. Uh, they were patient. I, I worked on some of my strengths and I, I had a really good like mile kind of halfway through the outdoor season, beat a lot of really good people. Sort of fortuitously, the Villanova uh, college coaches happened to be there. I didn't even know it, but they were recruiting me or checking me out. After that, they offered me a scholarship to Villanova, which was pretty, pretty sweet. I think I ran like 416 or something in the mile that day, but it was a, it was a really stacked race and I just outkicked everybody. You know, those, those couple of events really solidified me on my path uh, to being a runner. <laughs> I, had, I had certainly run previously and I'd been an athlete all my life. Uh, my dad was a track coach, so it's not like I'm, I'm new to the sport. I really had an interesting experience in high school and I think I had a great, great teammates, great coaches who prepared me really well to run that first year. Ended up going to the state meet and finishing second. I think I won the district meet, but I did not, I, I got outkicked in the, uh, the state meet my senior year by a guy who became my, my roommate at Villanova the following year. So that was interesting. And I think, you know, echoing what, what Zach said there, I think my teammates and my coaches did a great job preparing me for running at the high school level. Um, going to Villanova was a whole different story. So I was, <laughs> I was not prepared physically or mentally for what it was going to take to succeed there. Uh, awesome, awesome school, awesome running program. Uh, so I get dropped in and, you know, there's, I think, three or four guys on the team running sub four minutes in the mile. You know, I, I ran cross country for the first time uh, since I was 12 in CYO. It was, it was a rude awakening, I would say. I, uh, I didn't get pushed into running crazy miles. I, I was not that, but it was, you know, it was the workouts. Like I was training hard and, and I was not able to recover. So freshman year was tough. Sophomore year was tough. Junior year was tough. <laughs> um, had some successes here and there, but just didn't didn't adapt well to collegiate running until my senior year. It happens to be when Marcus O'Sullivan took over as the head track coach. Uh, he brought a lot of energy, and obviously, just you know, his whole you know, he's he's Marcus. He's five time Olympian, but uh, he he brought individual training, and and actually, I started training a little smarter. And he he was able to adapt my training to be more um, along the lines of what I. I found that really works for me. So I, I had a great cross country season my senior year, finished in the top 25 in the like district meet, which was pretty good at indoor track. I was, I was able to get down like low, like right around eight minutes in the three K and, and my mile times were down in the mid, like I don't know, I think 408 was the fastest I went, but you know, it was, it was an improvement. That was, that was awesome. Um, I learned a ton from, from Marcus in terms of how to train. A lot of that influence has stuck with me ever since. And um, I, I got sick outdoor season, so it was a little rough. But I, you know, I, I finally feel like I found my legs my senior year. I wish I had just gotten that a little sooner. So uh, it was it was great experience, though. Villanova was awesome. The, the teammates were awesome there. And I, you know, I would encourage anybody uh, thinking about a big program, if you can do it, you know, it's, gr it's a great experience. However, I would say that, you know, from a high school perspective, getting yourself prepared to go to college, college and running at a program like that but that's a you know it's a different thing than getting yourself prepared to run fast in the state meet so looking back there might have been some things we could have done differently or certainly some things I wish I had known that that would have helped me make that transition uh and, and where are you now Brock so I yeah I after college I continued to be athletic I did a lot of triathlons and things then I took a break um around the age of 38 39 I started getting more serious about running again and I actually started with ultra marathons of all things just at that time, I, I knew I wasn't going to PR in the 5K or the 800 or the mile. So I was like, what haven't I run yet? And so I went, I went long. Then I kind of had a breakthrough, I think, when, when I was 40. So now I'm a master's athlete and, and I'm 42. 
Uh, when I was 40, I had a great uh, marathon actually at Philly. It was like my first marathon since when I was 20 or something. It turned out really well. I won the master's division and I was like, whoa, there's this whole thing called master's running where I can win money? Like, what's, what's this all about? And it got me going and I, yeah, ever since then, the last few years have been awesome. I've been racing on the track, on the roads, uh, done marathons. You mentioned Berlin last year was my, uh, actually my all-time PR, which is cool to do as a as a the time of 41 year old or maybe I was 42 then yeah so I, I was PRing it's cool to PR when you're in your 40s let's just say that and uh, I would say I've come actually pretty close to where I was in college everything except maybe the 400 meters I'm not going to touch that again um, but I've gotten back to a pretty good spot and I think I've learned a lot of things that have helped me get there so one of the themes that I kind of recognize in talking with both of you is at some point in your career there was a little unfinished business or a feeling that there was more there. You know, Zach, you talked about that you were kind of always using that energy up in workouts and maybe didn't race quite as well in college and, and Brock, you know, first three years, perhaps maybe running over your head a little bit. And, and so you leave your collegiate career feeling like maybe you weren't done with the sport. Do you feel like that played a big role in your continued, you know, uh, working uh, towards the, these these uh, goals that you have? Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely didn't feel satisfied coming out of college. Uh, and I, I think I embarked on a lot of self-learning at that point um, to get myself more equipped to train train the way that would work for me. And I experimented a lot on things and uh, yeah, definitely got pretty hungry to, to see what I really could do. I, I did want to get to the performance level that I thought I could reach. Yeah, absolutely. Just like Brock. I mean, I think that there was this mindset of just unfinished business. I felt like I hadn't found my true potential yet in the sport. That still drives me to this day. I mean, I still think that I'm capable of, of PRs from a, a variety of distances and, you know, eventually there'll be a day where I'm not running any faster and I've always said I'm going to keep running as long as I'm having fun. I think having a group to run with and having like-minded individuals that are chasing the same goals makes it a lot easier for me to be able to get out the door every day. Obviously, Strava and other social media platforms, I think, are also a great motivator uh, just seeing what other people are doing. But for me, it's just one of those things I wake up every day and I have an innate desire to to get out there and, and push my limits and just see what's possible. You know, for me, I so Kevin Kelly was my coach in college for my first two years. And then he leaves. Uh, Christina Lovenstein comes on, who was kind of his protege. So very similar training. And then she leaves. And, and I, I kind of followed the same path as you guys in where I felt like I graduated college and, and I still had a lot more left to give to the sport, a lot more to prove, I guess. And when you have that chip on your shoulder or you have that feeling that you haven't done everything with the sport, you want to keep coming back to it. And, you know, it's encouraging when you look at what Brock did in his 40s, setting a PR in the marathon, uh, or Zach, I, I, you also just set a PR at the age of 36. That is I think encouraging for any runner at any age to look at. And of course, there's always Gene Dykes out there. So we've always got that to look forward to also. The other thing that came kind of through in, in your in your bio there was you were both coached by pretty classic, well-known coaches in college. Uh, you know, Mark O'Sullivan obviously is a huge name in the running community. So is Vince Tui, and those are two iconic figures uh, maybe we could expand on those guys a little bit. And, and Brock, why don't you start maybe, tell us maybe some a story or an experience with Marks that would kind of sum up what it was like being coached by him. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell a story that highlights one of the differences between my prior training. So we're out doing thousand meter repeats on the track 
and he sticks heart rate monitors on us, which I had not used before. And we're going around the track and of course he's running with us and he's so fit that he can like run between the different groups and like leave us in the dust. But uh, he comes back to me and he's like, what's your heart rate? And I tell him, he's like, slow down. It was the first time anybody, any coach had been like, hey, don't follow those guys. You know, I had always been like, I got to, I got to go with the team. I got to follow. I got to do the same workout. And, and like I was doing the same workout that our studs were doing, which probably was a bad idea. So he brought this concept of like, for you, you need to be running this base and here's why. And I've got some metrics to prove it. And today I know he switched to like lactate testing and things like that, which is probably even better. You know, that was huge. Just doing that, the workouts at the right paces and introducing the right things at the right time. I, I had a huge leap in performance. And I think that's so important for a high school kid to hear is that, you know, it's not always the best training to just go out there and hammer yourself into the ground and try and hang with the top guys. And there's a time and a place for it, but it's, it's few and far between, I think, too. Yeah, and just because I was hanging back from guys in that workout didn't mean I wouldn't then go beat them in the race. I mean, I, I did beat some of those. Like it, was, it, was, it was just interesting that I was just training at my pace then allowed me to actually boost my performance ahead some of the guys who would be beating me in those workouts. And Zach, what about you? Any good stories about Tui? Uh, Tui is, is the man. He's, he's still doing his thing at Widener. Um, I remember we, we used to host the Widener Invitational. You know, that was a big one that, uh, you know, a lot of schools, tri, you know, tri-state area would come show up and um, usually would attract like, some really hot, like 800 meter heats, smile heats. Uh, there was a 10K. I remember the first night, I think it was like a Thursday night. And Tui had this Mazda MPV that he would just drive around. We'd have time trials and uh, a lot of like tempo road loops. And he would just show up the silver M- MPV unmistakable. He always knew it was him, just blaring music. And uh, I just remember the night of the 10K, the Wider Invitational, he busts out some Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run, and it's on like the loudspeaker. He starts singing the microphone, just, you know. During the race. Well, it was just starting. He was he was um, blasting it onto the speakers, and it was kind of his his moment, you know, at Widener, and uh, just a fun-loving guy. I think there's not one person I've ever talked to that has had a bad thing to say about Vince Tui, but had a lot of good memories just, like, traveling with him. We would go to uh, uh, Flagstaff we actually went to for cross-country camp, camp one year, and um, what a great opportunity. I just remember sucking wind at altitude there for a few days, but just going, traveling with our team and getting to the guys better. I had an, had an incident there where uh, we all had Gatorade bottles in this van, this white van. So the one day we were going for our second run, driving to uh, you know some local state park. And uh, I just remember reaching down for a bottle, taking a swig of what I thought was Gatorade, but it ended up being somebody's pee bottle. So that was pretty pretty remarkable. Um, definitely a memory I'd like to forget, but he was cracking up. That was a memory that kind of stands out to me, Tui laughing about that. Definitely recommend the Gatorade for hydration. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just great guy. I mean, I, I really, like I said, I cherish those moments with, with Tui and, and um, I do definitely pull upon a lot of the workouts that we used to do. He was very close with Tom Donnelly, who's still coaching at Haverford College. A lot of the training would emulate, you know, they would kind of bounce things off each other. So a lot of times it would, um, by the time I was finishing up, it was, they're pretty similar as far as like, um, you know, a hilly long run that we would do as like kind of a tempo effort not quite threshold one day a week, as well as like miles at around like 8K pace, maybe a little little slower than that, maybe getting down to 8K pace. I know that Tom kind of a legendary, um, legendary training that he's, that he's um, instilled upon his Haverford athletes and, and introduced uh, many years ago that still is effective today. And I know Coach Tui is still training a lot of the guys on that kind of same 
the same philosophy. Funny because we had uh, Greg Bilecki on here just a few uh, episodes ago, and and he was talking about the same tight knit relationship between the two coaches and how they they kind of always bounced things off of each other. I gotta add, Marcus was coached by. Um, Tom Donnelly. So, I mean, there was a lot of influence there as well. As you said, Zach, it, it really is a small world. You know, as we touch on training a little bit, and both you guys kind of touched on uh, different aspects of it a little bit there, but as we move into kind of talking more about training and we look into our high school kids and, and the training that they're maybe doing right now, and then how does that morph, adapt, adjust in college? Like what, what does that jump look like or what did it look like for you? Yeah, in high school, like I said, I was I was very undertrained and looking back, I think that is a good thing because, um, you know, I was just introduced to the sport with like basically watching guys running laps around our soccer fields and I, I said, you know what, I'm going to give that a shot. I think that it's something that I, I, could, I could do and I wanted to give it a shot where a lot of people... I remember we had we had shirts in cross country that said our sport is your sport's punishment. A lot of people look at running as a punishment, but I looked at it as, hey, this could be fun. And I think that um, looking at that, you know, my introduction to the sport, I didn't know a lot, which again I think was helpful in some ways because all I had to do was run. I didn't have to think. All I had to do was run. I remember my first rate race at uh, Rose Tree Park. It was against. It was like a small maybe tri meet with like Marple Newtown. Ridley, maybe Interboro, so maybe a few other schools. And all I had to do was just run, you know, run with this pack and, and try to try to get to the finish line. And it, I just like the simplicity of the sport, just how it was just raw. You just show up, you put on your spikes and you go run. You know, I think that, um, you know, I draw back upon those experiences and remember just what it was like, you know, as a young kid, just learning philosophies of my coaches and the science behind it. Again, just the, just the simple act of running was something I enjoyed. And I think there's a lot of probably young people out there that may someday realize that they have an affinity for running, but they just don't realize it yet. You know, it took a coach to kind of take me under his wing and, and just put that belief in me. I guess I had somewhat, I had a little bit of talent, but I definitely had the work ethic, wanted to, wanted to be better, but it just kind of took a little nudging from a coach to, to kind of, I guess, kind of bring me to that point where I was able to experience some success. You know, I think from uh, looking back, you know, there were some things, obviously, I know Brock had said that I, I could have done in high school that maybe I, I, I definitely could have run better. But I'm also thankful that I still have that desire to run now. And, and maybe you hear about some kids, it's a shame where they, they just are burnt out in high school. They've left it all you know on the track or on the course, and they just don't have the desire anymore. And, and Brock, you went to Henderson, and now Henderson was a classic powerhouse for years and years and years. They still are. So probably a very different experience than Delco Christian. So what was it like running at Henderson? What were maybe some some of the training philosophies there? And how did they differ as you went to Villanova? So I didn't run cross country. So that was one difference. But um, so I dropped into track and most of my workouts were speed related. So we did a lot of short stuff. Um, I developed my speed. I could, I remember, you know, running 26 second 200s regularly on cinders. Um, so, I mean, there was speed, a lot, a lot going on. But we also, easy runs were easy. We recovered a lot. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was like short stuff. I don't remember doing a lot of tempos. I don't remember doing a lot of threshold. I don't remember doing a lot of fast, longer runs, um, at least while I was there. So when you transition to college, uh, you go to a 10K training program, right, for cross country, which physically there's a lot of differences there. All of a sudden now you've got to be doing these mile repeats on grass. Uh, Zach mentioned Rose Tree. Uh, I don't think we were more than a couple weeks in my freshman year and we're doing like five by mile at Rose Tree on the, on the grass, including the hills at like five minutes uh, a mile with like, you know, two or three minutes recovery. 
And uh, whew, <laughs> that's a big difference. <laughs> so there's a physical difference in like, what do you got to do to prepare for that kind of running uh, as well as additional miles, as well as, you know, we got tempo runs. Some of our long runs are faster. So that was, that was a big difference for me. I think um, in, important though is the physical differences were the mental differences. Zach actually nailed it. Like I remember just not being confident not believing in myself, not believing I could, I deserve to be there sometimes. And uh, I was more in survival mode. I was scared. I was just like, let me get through this workout as opposed to what am I getting out of this workout? And I don't think, you know, a lot of it was just mindset. So it took me a while to um, adapt to like being like, I can do this. I, I can, I can recover from these workouts. I, I belong here. Or maybe just having the confidence to say, I'm going to take today off or I'm not going to run with these guys. Like that would have been equally important. I didn't have that. Uh, until well into my career there. So I'd say there's a pretty big physical and, and mental difference for me anyway in that transition. Kind of went off topic for a moment there. Um, but how, how did, what was the biggest change from, you know, high school to college? I would say for me was running, you know, 20 to 30 miles a week and then building up to 60 to 70 miles freshman year. You know, you, there's some guys there that you're running with that, you know, had been, you know, been there for a few years and already had already adjusted to the mileage and were, you know, running some pretty hard workouts. We would do a lot of quarters and hard thousands and things of that nature. But I think that there's a little bit of an ego part of it too, that's, I was running at a division three level, so they're not D one school like Brock, but there were still guys that, you know, wanted to go out and prove themselves. And I think that sometimes we get a little carried away and, and even on just easy training runs where, you know, you're getting into, um, you have a workout, say on a Tuesday and you're coming back Friday, but then you end up running your, maybe your Monday easy run too hard and you're digging a hole because you just went long Sunday the day before. So you can really kind of dig your, dig yourself into a pretty deep hole there early on in the season. And, and we would start meeting, you know, in, in August for start uh, our cross country camp. So um, I think the biggest adjustment though, was definitely just the, the sheer volume for me, but then also coupling that with intensity. So when you, when you're increasing volume and intensity, that can be a recipe for disaster. Do you think that, uh, you know, it's been obviously a little over a decade since uh, some of us graduated college and maybe two decades for, for others. Um, do you think that high school coaches have gotten better at preparing athletes for that college level training? I mean, I, I can see from what you do, Coach Burns, that's that's probably my biggest uh, window into high school training at the moment. Um, and, and from what I see, yes, I think there is more awareness of that. Uh, I don't know how widespread that is, but I would say uh, the training has, has gotten better and, and the preparation has gotten better. So I do think I do think high school athletes today are probably a little better prepared. I, I agree, too. I think um, knowing some of the, you know, the DUS runners and, and just seeing the types of times that kids are running now, I think more commonly you're, you're seeing just a more competitive sport. You know, obviously, uh, coaching philosophies are going to differ, you know, in some ways. But bottom line is uh, the sport is, uh, is super popular. Kids are running fast. And I think that it does help, you know, having, you know, Strava or some of these uh, online coaching and training tools, workout logs where you can access your athletes training and just kind of see what they're doing and, and really monitoring them. And I think nutrition has increased, you know, obviously technology. So we're really you know, here in 2020, training is a lot different than it was, you know, say 20 years ago. 
there is so much more information out there. And, and Brock, you, you know, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but you, you have a program that you're putting together for high school athletes over the summer on mobility and leadership. And, and I'm going to help you out with that a little bit. Uh, I'm excited to talk about that. Uh, there's also information out there for coaches at uh, clinics and Doug Patrick, who's going to be on the podcast, uh, maybe on our next episode. He's putting on a clinic this summer for coaches that uh, virtually that they can get on. And, and there's just so much information out out there now, which I think is one of the biggest differences maybe for the, the modern coach compared to 20 years ago. But now what I'd like to do is I'd like to have you guys paint a picture for uh, some of our high school coaches or even our high, our, our high school runners about what your current training looks like. You know, let's let's try to focus first on your marathon buildup from last year since you were both very successful and, and talk about that a little bit uh, and maybe just give us a couple of quick points on it and we'll kind of dive into it a little deeper. So Brock, let's start with you and the buildup for Berlin. Yeah, and I'll just mention that my buildup for Berlin uh, coincided with Zach's buildup for Wine Glass and we were able to collaborate a lot, which was awesome. So uh, some of our training was intertwined, even though we were uh, going on slightly different programs. But after I, I ran a pretty good Boston Marathon last year, and I had I decided after that that hey, I'm 41 at the time. It's time to go all in. Like let's see what I can do. And I had this thing in the back of my head that like if I you know did all these calculations and everything worked out perfect, like hey, how close can I get to an Olympic trials mar- uh, qualifier, which would have been 219. Very ambitious goal. Don't get me wrong. But somewhere within the realm of possibility, perhaps, if, if I didn't have a job and a family. So, yeah, my buildup was uh, pretty, pretty intense. Let's say mileage, first of all. I, I don't think mileage matters that much. But just to give you a, a perspective on volume, I brought my volume up from like 60 miles a week, which is where it was for Boston, to 100 miles a week and responded pretty well. Now, while I was building up to 100 miles per week, I was also doing probably two to three hours on the elliptico a week. So you could say I was doing the equivalent of like 115, 120 miles a week in terms of volume, which was a huge change for me. And obviously one of the planned stimuluses that I wanted for that buildup. I also really went after, I broke it down into phases, but but threshold really working at that. I got that down, I think lower than it's ever been. Coming off of, of uh, Boston, I was able to run like 5230 at Broad Street, which is pretty solid. And then I just kept taking that down further. So it was a lot of a lot of aerobic work, right? It was, it was like the first time where I said, I'm not focusing on running a fast mile or 5k. I'm going to run a fast marathon. So it was extension of that aerobic, like just sub threshold pace and getting my marathon paces lower and lower as like a, just a slight fraction of where I could run a threshold and my threshold, a fraction of where I could run like a 10k. So it was a lot of long runs where I'd break up into segments of, of marathon pace or a little faster, which would gradually extend, 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 extend as I got closer and closer to the marathon. And as we got close to the marathon, you guys know we were doing, you know, we'd go to do that loop at Downingtown West and we'd be doing like, I, I remember doing like four by 5K, I mean, really long workouts at marathon pace, uh, just digging in and that that was huge. Funny thing is, in addition to getting my marathon times down, I, I ran like a, you know, old guy five, 5K PR at, at Terry's Run too. So, you know, it, it definitely brought everything to another level, I think, for me. Zach, and, and Brock said that you guys kind of collaborated or, or were able to run some, some workouts together. Uh, wh- what were some of the major differences then between your two programs, do you think, on the buildups? Yeah, um, it was great. First of all, having Brock, you know, we were able to link up on some runs. I remember a hot, gosh, it was a hot June morning right around this time last year where we met at the Struble Trail and did a five-mile tempo run, but it was 
the air was just uh, so thick. I felt like we were in an oven. And I remember he had, I think he had like a six mile tempo and I had a five mile. I think actually, Brock, it was, you had a, a double workout, which I didn't, I didn't do any of those where I'd had some doubles, of course, but I had days where um, usually my hard workouts, it was one workout where Brock was actually that day doing, coming back on the track, I think in the evening. So that was kind of something new uh, to me, but I'd heard of some obviously pros and you know elites doing some of those types of uh, workouts where they start off maybe with the tempo or track session in the morning and come back again for more, um, more work in the evening. But and then we finished that five miles that morning, Brock. And I think you said, uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to end it there and come back this evening and see what happens. And you ended up having a really good workout later in the evening. It was probably the right call because I know I was sucking wind at five and I was like, thank God I'm not doing another mile. <laughs> but anyway, I recall that that one workout and, and there were a lot of days we would meet early at Downingtown West. For me, the training, if I don't get up and get it done with the family and, and job, it's just, it's probably not going to happen. So it was kind of a rude awakening, getting used to getting up at like 450, getting mentally, physically prepared to go run mile loops around Downingtown West. I had some hard workouts where I was building up to like six by on off miles at half marathon and jumping back to marathon pace. So you're, so really it was like a float half marathon pace and, and, you know, jumping back to marathon pace. And you're just trying to, to gear up for the next half marathon mile that you have after the marathon kind of float, if you will. So learned how to kind of run while being tired. There were some workouts that, um, you know, I was happy with building up to like some 22 mile long runs. I think I averaged a couple of those under six minute pace, but I think there's a fine line between again, overtraining and, and being ready to tackle you know, the 26 mile distance as fast as you can. And don't forget the point too. I'd say that, you know, looking back at it, there's some things that I'd like to, I want to, I want to tackle another marathon in the future. And I still feel like I haven't quite hit my, hit my stride yet at that distance. But I think that, uh, you know, having somebody to, to train with having, you know, having a group has really made my life a whole lot easier. You know, again, I think a lot of runners have that desire to, to go out and put in the work if they you know want to be better. But Having the accountability of, of the Downingtown West crew there every Wednesday or just having that, you know, really makes a big difference. And I'm really grateful for the group. Since you brought it up, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of dive into that really quick. This, this concept of community and, and we've developed a small community for ourselves here. The aspect of community playing a role in successful running. How important do you think that is? And, and has that been a centerpiece in your most successful uh, races that you've run? I would say, um, you know, some of the, the glory days, if you will, were in college where you, you have a locker room, a bunch of guys are, were finishing up classes, 345, you know, Coach Tui comes in. What's going on, guys? This is what we're going to do today. You know, you look forward to that. You embrace that blood, sweat, and tears, right? I mean, you're with these guys every single day. You go through a lot, a lot of um, trials and tribulations, a lot of, a lot of great memories where you've, um, you've broken through. Maybe it's in a, a workout, maybe it's in a race. Um, I remember experiencing, you know, winning our first MAC championship my senior year in track. We kept losing to Elizabethtown, Squahanna. We got so close and then we finally broke through and um, dumping Coach Tui into the steeplechase pit is a memory I'll, I'll never forget. These are things that you, um, you, know, you hold on to. I think that, you know, when I graduated, I didn't really know exactly, you know, where I was going to go, what I was going to do. It was, I guess, a year or two after that is when I, I was fortunate to to meet Bob Schwelm and, um, you know, 
joined the Bryn Mawr Running Club, and we had some workouts up at the polo fields in Bryn Mawr, which they, I believe, still do work out on Tuesday, Tuesday evenings. But just learning, like, when you come out of college, it doesn't have to be the end of your career. There's still a lot more running ahead, a lot more races, and it's kind of nice not being on a set schedule where you can, you know, link up. Like, Brock and I can sync up now in our training, or um, we can try to figure out, you know, workouts that even if we're not doing the exact same workout, we can meet up on a track, and maybe we, we ho- I hop in for a 1,000 meters of his mile you know, or maybe we're doing 400s, I'm running 200 meters of his 400, you know, but there's ways to integrate others. It's really powerful and there's strength in numbers. And I, I really attribute a lot of my success to having uh, groups of people to train with for sure. And there were a lot of times where we we would all be there and there'd be six, seven, eight of us. And we'd have four different workouts going on. And, and sometimes you would be running by yourself or sometimes Brock would be running by himself. But just having other people around the track, uh, how, how important did you feel that was? Oh, it's huge. I think that, you know, being like I'm, when I'm there on the track and you're focused on your workout, I mean, you do hear, you know, people cheering or just saying your name. Come on, Scott. Come on, Scott. And just knowing that the people are there at that ungodly hour in the morning when it's pitch black and you're, you know, you're trying to find another gear and, you know, people are in their beds warm and cozy and you're out there, you know, trying to, to push yourself. It's hard. It's hard to get like into that zone, but it's possible. And I think that the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Obviously in the summertime, it's a lot easier to get out of bed. It's warm, it's muggy, it's, you know, you warm up a lot quicker. And those dark, cold winter months, having the power of the team there, you know, having their support having having the hearing that voice on the track really goes really goes a long way and there's there's no doubt that I wouldn't have been able to get through some of the workouts that I did without Brock without you know without you Scott without other guys there even if we're not doing the exact same thing just having their presence there really makes a huge impact that leads to that idea or that concept of shared purpose and maybe you want to touch on that or talk about that the importance of that a little bit I think it's I think it's huge <laughs> um yeah, it can have an effect on your performance like Zach's been talking about, but the, the shared purpose of a group, um, where you're out there for the same reasons, and, you're, and, and I think part of that is like supporting each other, um, just makes the whole thing not only more enjoyable, but it just gets you, I, you get out there, you're, you're more consistent, you feel more proud of what you've done, and, and the cool thing is you, you legitimately feel proud of other people for what they've done, and I think that's ultimately becomes a lot more meaningful than just your own, your own performance. Cause let's face it, running is a pretty selfish thing to do, right? It's like you you spend a lot of time out there by yourself running and racing. And I've gone through moments where I just feel like, man, I'm gifted, but like, this just doesn't feel like I'm doing anything except gratifying myself. But when we've got a group and you, you know, you have this in high school, so you, you, you've got the group, you just got to like embrace it because it's an amazing thing. And then as you move on to college, you got it. But as you move out of college, yeah, you got to create it or find it. It's there. Um, people love to do this stuff together. And by, by helping each other out, like, you know, Zach and I have done, I, I love like one of our training uh, buddies, Tim, you know, he can't keep up with us in the whole interval, but he'll jump in the last 400 meters and help us out. It's like, it's great. It just lifts everybody up, makes everybody happy. He feels good. You know, it's it's a really cool thing, and I to me, like it's it's the way to do it. You you got to find it or make it however you can. I love how you touched on that idea of gratitude, and, and and gratitude is one of our like tenets of culture. It's one of the big three things that we focus on, and that feeling that if you're just out there doing it for yourself, it's just not the same. You, it's not as fulfilling, you know. Yeah. And when you have teammates and you look around and, and they're successful and you're sharing in that success and you feel that success for them. You have that element of gratitude that is 
I think more fulfilling in life than, than self, uh, you know, purpose and, and right. just trying to. Exactly. And, and I think, and here's how I think it plays out in performance. So <clears throat> when you've got that going on and if you, well, let's say you don't have that going on, you don't have that gratitude or that appreciation happening. You're kind of all on your own. It's a little scary, right? It's a little bit, you feel a little unsafe, like, man, so if I fail, like, it's all on me. When you've got that culture, uh, you're just in a much safer place and you, you can go out there, you just feel more confident. And when you, you know, when you're on the track or wherever, you just run better because you're not, you're not, you're not scared. You're like, hey, we're all in this together. Uh, if I have a bad day, they're going to have a good day. We're going to help each other out. And then, you know, as a result, of course, everyone does better. So it's, you know, it's a really powerful thing that affects teams and groups like ours in a, in a really good way. Absolutely. Uh, you know, just touching back on that idea of that, that sense of belonging um, and being a part of something is, is so powerful. And it does enhance performance to just that next level. Yep. Z- Zach, you want to add anything there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, you know Brock has been an inspiration to me, and just seeing what um, what he's been able to do, you know, a few years older than myself, and and uh, having a family, obviously a, a job, and and um, you know other hobbies and interests besides running. But you obviously got to have a goal, right? That's what kind of gives you that that spark. To, you know, helps you get out of bed, helps you uh, get out the door, you know. But it, it, as Brock had said, I mean, it is kind of a selfish thing. You go run miles, and if they're miles, you know, mile, 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 the trials of miles, they say. Right, once a runner. I think success happens when you know the opportunity. It's been said meets preparation, but the preparation, a lot of it, yeah, we do on our own. But it's more fun. It's more rewarding. It's more gratifying when you do it with others. You know, like right now during this COVID nineteen, you know, we're trying to right set up these time trials. We're trying to have fun. We're trying to find ways to include others, but but still, you know, be smart about it. It's, it's no fun doing a time trial by yourself with no one there to watch. I mean, you know, it's you and your watch essentially, right? So I think that, um, you know, being creative, having, you know, having fun really, really happens when you, you have groups of people together. We're made to live in community, right? So um, I think without, you know, without a group, without, um, you know, feedback from, from coaches, from friends, training partners, you know, get mundane. And, um, I think it's a lot easier to, you know, to have the support of, of other people. It makes it a lot easier, you know, to get out the door, um, when you have those, those folks in, in your life. So I'm really grateful for, again, D West and some of the coaches that have made a huge impact, you know, all my life, um, you know, to this point. And let's bring that back. Let's tie all that back together now and, and go back to, to the marathon training and the marathon cycle. And, and we just kind of ended up with that idea of shared purpose and community. And, and here we have, uh, we're looking at a picture now of, of Zach at the, uh, is this like the four mile mark or, or I can't tell really of, of the wine glass marathon. Yeah, this, yeah, this is actually, um, I think it's closer to halfway because okay. um, my wife, I have two young boys. They were uh, four and two at this race. We all traveled together, stayed in the hotel room and bath, but you actually, you run, it's point to point. Not a huge marathon. I think there's about 1,500 or so folks. Um, there was, I think in that point there, I was in about, it was me and two other guys. Two guys actually went out pretty hard. One guy started to come back to us. Anyway, I ended up fifth in that race, but that's right around halfway. My wife was handing me bottles throughout the course. So having, you know, having a point to point race, she had to kind of pick like the spots. And I actually had written on my arm, the different mile marks and where she was going to try to pop out and see me. So it was really a, 
a mental, even like physical lift at times when, um, yeah, I just see them, just seeing them in itself was, was a lift, but then having the Gatorade and, you know, I had, had a few goos with me throughout the race as well, but I tried to, I was trying to be strategic at the points where I would take a goo knowing that I was going to be able to wash it down with Gatorade. You know, I want to experiment more with, with caffeine and with, um, you know, coffee before races. I know Brock has some experience with that, but I still feel like it was a windy day. Uh, it was kind of no man's land with these guys. There are times I felt great, times I felt not so great. And that's kind of the marathon for you, right? You just, you hope that you feel good more than you feel bad most of the time. And you push through those, um, those periods of uh, adversity because they're going to come. And uh, it's really just mind over matter. You put in these hundred mile weeks, you put it in the training and um, like I knew I was prepared and I can always kind of rest my head on that at the end of the day when um, I've given, up, given it my all and I, feel confident, you know, in the training, in the coaching, you just hope you can go out and execute. You know, I'm, I'm happy with uh, the way it turned out. I still think that uh, I always wanted to run, like Brock had said, like, see how close I can get to the Olympic trial standard. I know it used to be sub 222, the B standard, you know, I still hope to get down around that range. Now it's sub 219. So it's a pretty tall task, but I'm going to keep training and, and, you know, see, see if it's possible. Give us one, maybe, uh, you know, I like to call them like threshold moments where, you know, you had to make a decision, uh, the pain setting in, you have to kind of decide, okay, am I going to, am I going to go with this? Am I going to roll here and, and push through, or am I going to kind of give in to those negative thoughts that a lot of us have and, and then walk us maybe through, uh, how you overcome that kind of, uh, a moment in a race. Absolutely. Um, I think as I've gotten older, I've gotten more mentally tough. I think part of that comes with just more experience running more adversity, um, you know, injuries, setbacks, like that's all part of, of the process. You know, even this going into this race, I was, I was battling an injury even the night before uh, I ended up getting surgery um, a few weeks, uh, more like a couple months after this race, once I figured out what it was, but had an adductor injury. Uh, I don't think it slowed me down at all, but it, I just, I knew there was something not right um, leading up to this race. But anyway, um, throughout the race, you know, once I knew, get a couple miles in, you try to just get comfortable, right? Marathon such a long distance. I would say at this point in the race here, about halfway, I was actually still feeling pretty good. I kind of settled in um, to, I think I was running a lot of, uh, like at this point, 530s, 540s. And um, I knew, I thought I was in shape to, to run under 230. I just didn't know how fast I was going to run. It was a windy day. And I just kind of gave into the fact that I wasn't going to run super, super fast, that these were the guys around me. I was just going to stick with them. There were a couple of points where this guy joined our group and eventually it was three of us and he would put in these surges. You know, there were points where I definitely was like, oh man, my legs feel heavy or uh, is that a stitch I'm feeling coming on? I've had some issues with that in the past. And I definitely draw upon, there's a Bible verse, Isaiah 40, 31, says those who you know trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So I just sometimes say, run with wings as eagles. And, um, you know, sometimes you have a mantra in your head, like I'm fast, you know, I'm strong. You know, I think it's different for different people, but just drawing upon, you know, maybe it's a quote or a verse in the Bible or whatever it is, you know, and, and, and understanding that you've put in the work, you know, again, having confidence in what you've done up to that point. Um, everyone's going to have bad races or bad, bad points in a race, but I think the best runners are the ones that can embrace the pain. I remember coach Tui saying, you know, the, the best distance runners are those who can suffer 
And I think in a marathon, that's what it comes down to. Who can suffer the best? You know, there's a lot of different people that that attempt marathons, but everyone's going to suffer. And I think if you can accept that, knowing up front that you're going to suffer and that you're going to be in the hurt locker, um, that's that's part of the battle right there. That's half the battle is just giving into that and uh, just trying to trying to persevere when the going gets tough. Yeah, I love that. I, you know, that that idea of a mantra, you know, my assistant coach, Coach Tom Jossick, he is our mantra king. Uh, he, he teaches all the girls a mantra. It takes them uh, all season to find the right mantra for each girl and, and gets them their mantra and, and they all use it. And Brock, we're, we're going to move to this picture of you. And what a great picture. First of all, I, I love uh, the angle and just the, the facial expressions going on here. Why don't you walk us through the picture? Yeah. This was a good one. Um, I think this is at mile 20 in the marathon. Yeah, it, it, it was. So in terms of a suffer fest, I, uh, these guys I'm with right now, we, we hung together almost the entire race. In the beginning of the race, I was, I was not feeling good. I had some, some stomach problems, which is not a good sign at the early parts of a marathon. So I was kind of behind them. I wasn't running as fast as I wanted to. At mile 10, right around mile 10, I, I just decided, like, I knew, you know, I knew you guys were going to be watching me online. And I'm like, I got to go. Like, if this is going to happen today, if I'm going to run a good time, I got to go. So from mile 10 to about mile 21, just after this point, I led these guys just hammering. Like we, we started, we dropped our pace from like 535 down to like 520. And they all hung with me. And then around 21, 22, as you know, often happens in a marathon, it, it did get hard. Luckily, they were like, dude, can I take over? And I was like, yeah, please. Um, so right after this, I, I started tucking behind them. We started rotating. Uh, and we, we all finished within, I think, not, not many seconds um, in the race. And uh, so it was, it, was a, you know, it was a good group to be with. Uh, I wish I hadn't had to do as much of the work as I did. But uh, it was a, you know, I, I was not having the best day. And if I hadn't, I hadn't been from you guys uh, checking my splits at home, I might have been like, I'm just going to get through this race. But I was like, no, I, I can't do that. I got to go for it. And uh, I'm glad I did. It wasn't the best time I could have done, but it was, it was still a, a good time. Sounds like you almost found like a, uh, a micro community inside of the race there. We to- did. It was cool. And after the finish, like we all found each other and we were like, you know, instantly connected. Uh, one guy was from Germany. One guy was from France. One guy was from Great Britain. Uh, and I don't know if he's in here now, but there was like another guy from some Eastern European country. We, you know, we all connected on Facebook. We still follow each other on Strava. I still get messages from him sometimes. It's crazy, right? Like just being together in a race, we barely talk to each other, but um, that experience of, of getting through that together was, was pretty huge. Uh, there's something special when you go through a, a shared suffering. Uh, you know, you kind of bond in that way when, when you're doing that together and, and, and you can feel the pain of, you know, that each other are going through. Uh, I always think that's a powerful uh, bonding agent on a high school team when, when those uh, young uh, boys and girls kind of for the first time are, are feeling discomfort or feeling pain and and, and they're learning how to do it together. They're learning how to to deal with that where maybe they hadn't ever been in that situation before. You sure. know, cross country hurts like no other sport, I think. Yeah, cross country is tough. And I mean, that that aspect of, of being able to feed off each other and, and flow with each other, uh, just another reason why, you know, teams, cultures, groups, whatever can can be so, so powerful. Like, could I have done that on my own? No way. Like, there's no way that that race is happening on my own. Or Zach, to your credit, not even at Wine Glass where you're with like two guys. Like, I'm around a lot of people and we're just, we're just hammering. And I just got into a zone and, and it was great. I also love the European racing scene. Uh, I ran the Madrid Marathon when my wife were over there, and 
it, it is it is special. I think they, they really love their running over there, which is kind of cool. They do. Oh, and I got to point out another thing. That our culture of our crew is so good that not only do we have did we have a shared kind of vision and, and purpose of the of the group, but we literally shared the same vapor flies. So, you know, that was, you know, they're expensive, but you got you to gotta do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah, I told Brock I'd be happy to rent them from him for that race because I think at that point you only used them maybe a few times and uh, you did let me actually use them for a race before that. So I, I appreciate it. I knew that, that they were, uh, they were special after that workout. I was, I was sold. I, I believe that that shoe is um, definitely a shoe that you want to use for the marathon, in my opinion. Especially when everyone else has one, right? <laughs> Look at the guy next to you there. Brock, I'd like to maybe ask you to share now about the run expression uh, summer clinic for high school athletes and how that can tie into their running. And then I'm going to ask you a question that will hopefully tie back into culture too. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. I mean, so run expression is a, is just something I created a while ago. It was really initially about me, me coaching athletes. Um, I've been coaching athletes for about 20 years now. I guess more recently what I've decided is it, it's really got to be more about getting, getting people together. So whether that's getting our groups like us together to run or getting groups together to, to learn, uh, getting groups together to create like this podcast, Scott, like kudos to you, like this to me is an awesome example of that. But so, so that's, you know, that's what I'm trying to do with Run Expression. And specifically around this summer program, I have worked with athletes, high school athletes in the past, provided supplementary coaching, uh, either in the summer or sometimes in the off seasons, as a way to provide more help around movement, mobility, mindset, nutrition, um, things like that. And I love working with athletes one-on-one, but the, the idea now is let's get a group of athletes together and and still provide that same training, provide that kind of coaching, still do some one-on-one uh, feedback, but also bring them together and allow all of the athletes to feed off each other, uh, learn from each other, um, explore together. And, and I'm really interested to see how that goes because I really think that they can learn a little bit from me, they can learn a bit of that from you, but they can learn a lot from each other and from the thing, some of the things that they're going to add in. So I'm really excited to get this program started. I didn't even even prompt you there. You kind of you kind of answered the question for us about how that ties into culture. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I love that. So maybe give us an example of what some athletes could expect joining this uh, this new endeavor that you're you're opening up. Yeah, so it's a it's a summer program. It's it supplements the training that they're going to get from their high school coach. It doesn't replace it. I would like all high school coaches to know that this is happening, and I'd like the athletes to continue to follow their high school coach's program as the main thing. What they can expect, though, is that they're going to get some guidance on movement, and that's going to be everything from breaking it down into mobility, strength, stability, things like that, onto like run specific movements that are. The goal is to get them faster, right? We want to get faster runners who can run more efficiently. We also want to get runners who are more resilient so they don't have to stop training to heal injuries. And I've learned so much around movement and there's so much I love sharing with um, athletes. And I think that at the high school level, it's like a perfect time to start embracing some of this stuff. I know a lot of high school coaches know this and do this, but you can get a little more individual attention, uh, slow motion video analysis, um, specifically breaking down movement patterns for each athlete to see how they move and, and how they might be able to improve that through different types of interventions and exercises. You mentioned all the mental stuff, like, oh my God, like we, this is going to be so much fun to kind of explore some of that. Really try to get athletes prepared to perform at their peak uh, in the cross country season, beyond in, in indoor and outdoor track, and, you know, hopefully set them up for success in the future. It's really about long-term athlete development. So I don't know if there's anything you want to add because you're, you're going to be a part of this too. Uh, I'm just really excited. I like the idea of bringing that mental edge to the athlete's training. I think we, a lot of times as a coach, I'll hear that kids 
would like some sort of mental training. And as, as a high school coach, we only really get two hours a day with these athletes and it becomes, you know, how much can you fit into that? And so you'll touch on it maybe once a week or twice a week or maybe in preseason, but you can't really dive into a full program to develop it. And from hearing from both you and Zach today about maybe some of your struggles, whether they were, uh, you know, physical struggles of, you know, getting hurt, having surgery, things like that, all the way uh, to the mental aspect of having confidence and belief. Uh, I feel like it's a program that's extremely important for some of these athletes to take on. And I, you know, I'll be suggesting or hoping that a few of our Downtown West uh, kids take advantage of the opportunity that you're offering and learn something from this, uh, this course over the summer. Zach, uh, I want to go back into just one more thing with you about culture. And, you, you know, you talked about the Bryn Mawr running community and Bob Schwelm. Bob Schwelm's, a, you know, another iconic figure. I feel like you, you have had some fantastic uh, mentors along the way. And now you're, you're kind of, uh, working out with Brock and I, and, and well, more Brock, and, uh, the D West morning crew. Now that we've developed here, it feels that you've had this very fortunate kind of uh, trajectory of communities along the way. And I know that you do a lot of things outside of just running community based too. Uh, I'd like to maybe just ask you to talk a little bit about community and maybe talk about how balance plays a role in your life too. Yeah, I mean, I grew up going to church. I'm still very involved with my church, um, and my, my whole family is. And boys, you know, go to children's church, and actually got plugged into a small group a few years back um, before I had kids. And I think that was really influential in me forming these relationships with other like-minded people. Maybe that you know, maybe they're not runners, but they they also value health and, and wellness, and um, we're kind of in the same season of life together, which is is really helpful. Um, and we kind of developed that bond, you know, in small groups. So whether it's a small group running, small group at church, small group um, I'm involved with the PA or Westchester PA Boat and Fish Commission that's down here in, um, it's actually local. It's in, it's in Downingtown, but there's a, been there for a number of years. There's a trout. It's a nursery. The past few years, my boys and my wife too, um, but we've helped um, kind of feed these trout and, and stock them, uh, opening trout seasons in April and met a lot of great people. Just having a sense of community, it, it always helps. You know, we, we don't want to, don't want to live in isolation. Like I, I really believe we're made to, to be in community with other people. Having a sense of belonging and having um, hobbies or you know, extracurricular activities that we can kind of engage in together, you know, makes life fun, makes life worth living, and that's really what I want my kids to understand is that you know whether they run or not doesn't matter to me as long as they're obviously having fun and they're treating other people the way that we all want to be treated. I mean, those are the values I want to instill in my kids, and you know, I want other people to um, when they come in contact with me or with my family to feel loved and a sense of belonging. And um, you know, I think you can find that in different you know community groups and there's just a lot out there obviously the running and the you know church group and fishing these are kind of the three big hobbies that you know that I'm involved in at this time but well, I find it you know inspiring grateful. that it seems to me that running has been a platform to then branch out into other leadership into other community to to, to want to give back it, it, it seems that for both of you running was part of a uh, greater mission in in your lives to be disciplined to be focused to be you know outreaching to to improve not only yourself but the people around you and that's kind yeah, of where I, that question was driving 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I know I've had the privilege of coaching, um, actually one of the guys, Brian Drabblebiss from our group years back with just some, some workouts that I had been given and some ideas that I remember when I had kind of broken through the 15 K barrier a few times and, um, Brian Drabblebiss was really working towards that goal. And we actually talked about it today in our long run and, uh, just kind of resonating with me now that, you know, you really feel like a sense of, um, it's almost a sense of accomplishment when, and you can probably attest to this too, Scott, being a coach at Dyingtown West and as you as well, Brock, being a coach, but some of the athletes I've helped over the years, like you're not always going to run your personal best, but when you help somebody else break through or run well, that's just as rewarding to me as myself having success in the sport. That's great stuff. Well, guys, we're going to wrap it up now. So we wrap up uh, the podcast with a three, two, one. Uh, uh, the first one is three things you're grateful for in running. So try to try to center those ideas around running if you can. And uh, Brock, why don't we start with you? Three things you're grateful for. Grateful for a lot. Um, three things. Uh, one, I'm grateful that running gives me just a perspective to take me outside of the day to day and just give me a space where I can be me. I can I can get away from things and just just feel good. Just centers me and I can structure other things in my life around it. Two, I guess I think was your last guest was it Gavin? Yes. So he mentioned this something around like it's a gift and and I'm grateful for the gift. Like I'm I'm for some reason I'm good at running and I think you know, working at it and like trying to get good at it almost like honors the gift. And I'm, but I'm just really grateful that I, that I have it and that I'm able to express myself through running um, in a way that makes me feel good. And now, you know, through this whole community, hopefully helps others as well. So that's, that's awesome. And then um, it's almost like beating a dead horse, but I'm, I am grateful for the communities that it has brought me, whether it's been my, my schools, uh, the community of Villanova, groups I've been involved with earlier in my post-collegiate career, but now, you know, this crew and just everyone I come into contact with, it's, it's just great who, who I meet and it becomes just a big part of my life. I'm just super grateful that, that I have it. Zach? Yeah, that's great stuff, Brock. Um, I think having the injury bug um, year or so, it just made me really appreciate just having my health again and being able to to train and run at a you know decently high level. Um, it's easy to take it for granted, so it is a gift, and um, I don't ever want to take it for granted again. Hopefully, I don't. But um, I'm thankful to God, thankful for um, you know the Downingtown West crew and my support team, my boys, my wife that that let me take time, you know, in the morning and sometimes the evening too. Um, you know, I got to thank them. So I'm definitely grateful for my health, my family. I'd also say the company I work for, United States Liability Insurance, being advocates of health and wellness as well, and and having an hour lunch break, having a job right now, being able to go, you know, get a, a run in at lunch, um, having a gym at, when, you know, when we're at work, when we're, you know, that's something that I definitely am grateful for. All right, guys, the next one is uh, two things you're passionate about outside of running. So I'll try to keep it brief. I mean, I'm, I am uh, super passionate about my family and, and that's, you know, the kids, I got a seven year old and an 11 year old that are just awesome. And the stuff we do as a family is, is one of my, my passions in life. And second, I, I love adventures. I love getting on the road. So I've recently kind of got a Jeep and got it all set for some adventures where we can get out on road trips, camp and just see the world. Um, and that's something that I've been focused on a lot as well. And hopefully that's going to take me to some great places to run while I'm, while I'm at it. Yeah, very similar to Brock. Um, you know, family, family first, uh, for sure. Like I have two young boys, uh, five and three, just the birthdays in March, and they're very active. Uh, my focus is really to be present with them. Uh, my wife and I are celebrating our 10 year anniversary 
um, this upcoming week, you know, so I really want to you know, focus on family and, and try to put them before running before any other hobbies, because that's really where my passion lies, like Brock had said, too. Secondly, you know, I'm an out, outdoorsman, I guess I would classify myself as I like hunting, I like fishing, I like, you know, hiking on trails. I really miss Philadelphia sports right now, you know, and not having the Sixers and the playoffs to root for, uh, not having the Flyers, looking forward, hopefully the Eagles can start training camp on time, but just really miss having that team you know to root for that we've all come to know and love here living outside of philadelphia because i know our sports fans are very passionate gosh it's been tough not turning on comcast and, and seeing a game or the crack of the bat you know at the phillies so definitely missing that uh, although that michael jordan uh documentary was pretty good very good i actually got to finish that up i've been kind of savoring that because it brings me back to my childhood i had michael jordan posters all over my room and you know that guy he definitely he still seems like he wants to go out there and compete it's pretty amazing it I guess he's what closer to 60 now. So just a different mindset for sure. Incredibly driven. All right. And the last thing is one thing that helps you to believe in yourself on the starting line. So it's, I think I've touched on it, but the thing that that helps me believe in myself is, is actually like believing I'm a part of something bigger. I, I know it sounds a little bit cliche, but when I get on the starting line and instead of feeling like it's me against them, if I'm feeling like, we're all doing this cool thing and I'm fist bumping people and smiling at them. And I'm like legitimately excited for them. I, I just get this belief in myself that I'm in the right place at the right time. And I just, I run better as a result. It, it's amazing how well that's worked for me um, and how much more consistent I am now than, than I used to be as a result. How about you, Zach? Yeah, I'd say one thing that helps me is is just um, knowing that I've I've put in the work. You know, for me, it's it comes down to an audience of one. God gave me the ability. God gave me the gift, and I want to honor Him with that ability. Having you know your support system there, your family, your friends, your loved ones, like they want you to succeed. And I think looking at the race as a challenge that I've kind of taken upon myself, or like I've put myself in that position, and it was by choice, right? So it's not. You know, races can be nerve wracking. Um, the training leading up to them obviously is challenging, but we're also making those voluntary decisions, right, on our own behalf. So I try not to overanalyze too much. I think as runners, we tend to do that every little thing. Um, oh, I have a little niggle here, or, you know, did I run that last rep too hard? But just trying to see the big picture and, you know, we do it because we love it and the people around us want to see us do well at it. And that helps me. This was a fantastic podcast. I think you guys really shared a, a lot of great tips uh, with our with our audience, and uh, I'm excited to see you continue to chase those PRs. I I think you both have a few more coming down the down the road here, and uh, it should be a lot of fun to continue to train and, and build community and uh, get out there together and, and make it happen. Well, man, thanks for doing this podcast. We uh, it gets me through my runs now, so <laughs> keep it up. <laughs> Appreciate yeah. that. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, thanks so much, Scott. I just got some wireless uh, earbuds, so I'm looking forward to uh, listening to future podcasts on some of my easy days. That's great stuff. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to A Run on Culture. If you're interested in being a guest, please email scott.burns.run at gmail.com.